that uh, song Crazy. It was uh, written and originally it was performed by uh, Seal. And um, the inspiration of that song was, he said he was inspired by the fall of the Berlin Wall and Tiananmen Square and that those particular instances just uh, kind of uh, informed his writing. And in an interview, he said that, that the whole concept of the song was he felt the world was changing, and he felt uh, profound things were, were happening. And so we're in this series crazy, and um, things are crazy, aren't they? Yeah. And today, what I want to look at is some things that are changing in, in the world at that time, profound things that are taking place in I have often thought in a world full of people, only someone to fly. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And the story we look at today, there's a young orphan girl, and her name's Hadasha. And it's this amazing story of obedience to God. And she helps an entire nation survive because she was willing to get a little bit crazy for God, to be used by God. And so a miracle ends up happening. Now, you might know her as Esther. She's the queen of the Persian Empire. And I want to kind of put things in context very quickly here. Nebuchadnezzar, he was king of the Babylonians, and he conquered Jerusalem. We talked about that at the very beginning of this series. And he brought back Jewish prisoners of war back to, to Babylon. And you might remember we talked about David and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Esther's grandparents, okay, would have been captives with them. So they would have been brought back to to Babylon. Years have now passed. Kings have come and gone. The Babylonian Empire falls. The, The Persians take over. This is about 485 for those that want to put it in in line with what's happening in the world, maybe know your history. And Xerxes is the king. The capital, Susa. Persia is the number one power in the world at this point, okay? The Persians go into battle, and they're fighting with, with Greece at this point, and they get defeated in a battle. So... What do they do? Well, they go crazy. They, they party like it's 499. You know, the entire country parties. <laughs> yeah, Prince, right? <laughs> yeah. The entire country parties for six months. And so to get a perspective, this is like Animal House meets Mardi Gras, all right? People are partying. After six months of this partying, we're told that Xerxes goes on a seven-day full-throttle binge. And he is showing off his wealth. He's showing off his power. And his, his highest officials are with him, probably a lot of his friends. And he decides that he wants to show off his gorgeous wife, Vashti. She's the queen. And so what he does, he sends a servant to, to go get her. And scripture says she refuses to comply. Well, I don't know why. Why wouldn't you want to be around a bunch of drunk men? You know, be, be displayed like a prize. 
but she she turns it down. She she doesn't want to be in front of all these drunk guys. And uh, so the king is just angry at this point. Why? Well, because it made him look bad, made him look weak. And so he he calls his advisors together and he talks to his sages and he says, what should I do about this? And so instead of commending her for her morals and standing her ground, they recommend that she be punished. And so I, I, when you read it, it actually says they were afraid that other women might start exerting their independence. And so they take her crown from her and they banish her. Isn't that crazy? They send out a, a royal decree to find a new new queen they held kind of a I'll, I'll say a miss persian pageant young girls from all over the kingdom they they gather for the competition esther is chosen as one of the contestants we know she made the prelims she made the finals and and then she underwent beauty treatment after that now I, i'm just curious uh, single females out there today any? <laughs> okay, a few, a few. So a little survey. How long does it take you to get ready for a date? 45 minutes? Anybody? An hour? More than an hour? How many of you have spent more time getting ready than you did on the date? <laughs> you know. Esther spends 12 months. Spa treatments, a lot of oil of Olay, Christian Dior. She's, she's getting ready for, to compete. It says, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her king instead of Vashti. So how does a young Jewish girl rise to be queen of Persia you see God's hand here and I think as you follow her story there's some things that we can learn about being used by God from her first thing that really stands out to me when I read the read the whole whole book is that Esther was willing to accept advice in her life she was teachable. She was open to the wisdom that other people had. You know, she's, she's an orphan girl. She was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. Mordecai raised her like she was his daughter. It says, Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. I want you to tuck that information back. We're, we're going to come back to it because it's very, very significant what, what takes place there. You know, a Esther took Mordecai's advice. She doesn't reveal that she has Jewish heritage. She, she respects his counsel. She understood the importance of seeking counsel. Uh, if you really dig into the book, she also uh, looked to the advice of Haggai. And uh, it, she looked to his experience, his expertise. Uh, the fact is, he was uh, a eunuch for the king, but he was appointed to be advisor for all the girls that were in the pageant. And so basically, he was teaching her, 
you know, what to say, how to approach the king, what to wear, this, this kind of thing. And Esther was smart enough to know to listen to people. She knew who to listen to. She also knew who not to listen to, which sometimes gets to be complicated. It says, when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Hege and the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested. In other words, she, she followed his advice. And when I read that, I, I think, I wonder what would have happened if she would have not listened to advice, if she had not taken the advice. Uh, would, would things have turned out like, like, she, like they did? Which kind of raises a question, do you take advice? Do, do you ever seek advice in your life? It, it has troubled me for a long time because I'll watch people and they crash and burn. And later I'll hear them say things like, man, I, I really should have listened to somebody. I, I thought I had a handle on it. I could deal with it myself. I, I should have talked to someone. And I find that crazy because I watch people and they will spend their entire lives moving and going from one mess to another mess to another mess to another mess. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll step into it and, and I'll say, you know, you ought to get some counsel from someone. Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm doing great. You, you really ought to talk to so-and-so. They have some expertise in this area. They, I, I'm sure I could get you connected. Do you want me to get you connected with them? And they'll be like, uh, no, no, I'm fine. And then, bam, watch them go down. In the words of Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? Is it working for you? So, so many times we think to take someone's advice is kind of beneath us, makes us weak. Isn't that crazy? You know, Scripture says plans fail for lack of what? Counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. The fact is, successful people, if you get in close to them, you will find they seek advice. You know, part, part of maturing as an individual is realizing you don't know everything. You do not have all the answers. The, you can find wisdom from other people. You can benefit from the wisdom of other people in your life. And so again, I'll ask, do, do you take advice from people, people that have character? Do, do you talk to people that have expertise or wisdom in whatever area you're trying to navigate? You know, do, do you make that a point? Now, I'm going to kind of shift gears here. Mordecai, we're going to look at him for a moment. Mordecai, he overhears an assassination plot. And he, it involves a couple of the guards for the king. And so he sends a message to, to Esther. And he alerts the king about this plot. And the situation ends up getting uh, investigated. The plot's exposed. And long and short, the, the, the two palace guards are executed. 
And, and scripture says that Mordecai's help is recorded in the king's official record books. Why? Because of the assassination plot. The king gets kind of paranoid at this point. And so he's going to shake his government up. And he decides that he's going to appoint a, a new leader. And it's a politician by the name of Haman. Haman is a shady character. He has a political agenda. He has a vendetta. And he's going to use his office to accomplish that vendetta. You know, and for some crazy reason, I do not get this. I, I've read this story so many times. I do not understand why the king agrees to pass a law, but he does. He passes a law that everyone has to bow down to Haman in his presence. So everywhere he went, he's walking around, people are bowing and bowing, and everybody's hitting, hitting the ground, hitting their knees. And then one day he's traveling, and with everybody bowing except one guy. One guy stands, he remains standing. They get into a heated argument. And Mordecai refuses to bow. It's a faith issue for him. Mordecai's Jewish. He only bows to one God, and it's the one true God in heaven. And so the whole situation kind of fuels a fire. Hammond's vendetta that I mentioned a few minutes ago was against the Jewish people. See, Hammond's family had been killed by a king by the name of Saul hundreds of years prior to that. And so all this did was fuel the fire and the situation, he, he sets a plan in motion at this point. And I think, what happens in your life if your worst impulses aren't put in check? If there's no reflection brought on, on your thoughts, your, your process, your, where, where you're going with things. I mean, what if you don't do that? Well, I'll tell you where it ends. Oftentimes it ends in hatred. And that hatred, pretty soon you justify any and all decisions you make, and it's centered around that. This case... Through some political maneuvering, some greased palms, this, this situation leads to genocide. And so Haman unleashes his plan. Verse 9, it says, If it please the king, issue a decree that they will be destroyed. He's talking about the Jewish people that are, that are living in Susa. He says, I will give $10,000. See, here's the money changing hands large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited into the royal treasury. So the king takes the bait. Ah, we can put money in our coffers. And so they draft a law. They set a date for the execution of all the Jewish people in the city and in the region. Esther, Esther's secluded in the palace. She's unaware of the situation. You know, she doesn't know what's going on in the king's court. Mordecai sends a message. He informs her of the coming execution, and he, he asks her to intercede. And she basically resists initially. I, I think 
she was afraid. She was afraid that her Jewish heritage would be exposed. And we know from Scripture she was afraid to even approach the king without an invitation because that was punishable by death in that day. And so Mordecai responds back to her. And he he says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if, so you're raising a big question here, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Who knows? You know, three, three things jump at me in, in this message that he sends her. One, don't think for a moment you can escape the situation, the problem, the issue. If you don't step up, God will find somebody else to step up. And then a word of encouragement, he says, you know, God has placed you where you are, exactly where you are, for such a time as this. For such a time as this. See, the second thing I I note in this story is Esther trusts God fully, completely. She, She has faith in God, trust God, and because of that, what happens is her faith and her courage kind of kick in at this point. And so she sends a message. She says, go and gather together all the Jews in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, nights or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it's against the law, see, she's going to get a little crazy here, I will go to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Esther understood that only God could make a difference in the situation. And I wonder today, what is it that you need to trust God for today? You know, is there there some struggle in your life, some obstacle, you know, some area where where you need God to to work? Is there some area where maybe God is prompting you, impressing you to step up in your life? But there's a little bit of fear there. Not sure if you want to step up. I challenge you, put your faith in God. No, no, a little word of warning. I don't believe you should ever take a step in your life or make a change. Maybe I shouldn't say major changes until you're willing to trust God completely in that. See, Esther understood this. She, she didn't have a selfish motives. She wasn't driven by that. I'll do what works for me. No, Esther, she's driven by something very different. She's like, what does God want me to do? That will take you in a very different direction in your life. Esther is willing to take the risks that are involved. And I believe with anything great in life, there are always risks involved. And in fact, if there aren't risks, it's probably not worth doing. 
You know, Esther risks it all. She risks her life. And again, to approach the king uninvited is a death sentence. And I know, I know what you're thinking. You're going, but it's, but it's his wife. I mean, he wouldn't do that, would he? Well, remember what happened to the first queen? I mean, he banishes her, takes her crown from her for, for a crazy reason, to be honest. that This king has a track record that is to be feared. But the, the moment of truth comes, finally. And Esther, Esther, you can picture her, her heart's racing. She's walking this long corridor to go to the king's court. You know, she pushes open the door to the court, and everyone goes silent in the place. She's approaching the king. The king, it's interesting, it says, then the king asks her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Now, I will tell you that is a common phrase. I will give it to you even if it's half the kingdom. The king is exaggerating here, all right? He's basically saying, Esther, I'm in a really good mood today. So what is it that you want? I'm going to let this slide. I, I guarantee you if she said, well, I'd like half the kingdom, his mood would have changed radically. But he's given her an invitation and Esther says, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. So she's making a banquet or meal, and uh, she has a plan. And that's the other thing I want you to get. There's always needs to be a plan. She didn't rush in unprepared. She prayed. She fasted. She sent a note to Mordecai, asked him to ask other people to pray and fast. She, she hosts the banquet, and after dinner, the king asks her again. He says, what's your request? What is it you want? In other words, and she says, uh, verse, verse 8, says, I have found favor with the king. And if it please the king to grant my request and do what I ask, Please come with Hammond tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. Now, I want you to notice, this is kind, of, kind of gets complicated. She basically is saying, if it please the king, if you're really going to give me what I want, would you come to another dinner tomorrow? You know, if you come to that dinner, basically, this is really sly in my opinion. The king, if he shows up and attends, he's already agreed to grant her request. She, she's playing a little game here of semantics. But she invites the king and Hammond, and that's it. And this is where things get a little crazy. So they have dinner, that, the first banquet. Hammond's heading home. He's feeling pretty important at this point. Guess who he meets in the street? All right. Guess who he doesn't bow down. Guess who doesn't bow down to him? Mordecai. He gets home. Hammond's furious. I imagine he is spitting nails at this point. You know, who's this guy think he is? You know, not bowing down to me. 
I, I just had dinner with the king and queen. In fact, I'm so important. I'm having dinner tomorrow night with them too. You know, and so his wife and his friends, they, they start suggesting and advising him. And they say, you know, you ought to execute Mordecai. So Haman, he hires a crew, basically. He says, I need gallows built, and I want them done in the morning. Another part of town, the king, the king that night can't sleep. I don't know if he ate too much at the dinner. I, I, I don't know, but he can't sleep. And so he attempts to kind of induce some sleep. And he's like, okay, what's the most boring thing I could possibly do? And so he goes, I know, I'll go read the record books. And so he starts reading, and he runs across the account of how Mordecai had helped expose the, the plot for the assassination. So then he's like, yeah, I remember that, but I don't remember if I did anything. And so he gets an advisor in, and he goes, did we do something for Mordecai? for this great thing that he did. And they're like, nope, we didn't. I imagine he's a little bit embarrassed, but bottom line, he decides he's going to make this right. The next day, Hammond rushes to see the king because he wants to get permission to execute Mordecai. But before he can ask, the king asks him, he says, hey, what would you do for someone if you wanted to honor them. Now, Hammond, he thinks this is, oh, what's the king want to do for me? He thinks it's about him. He saw this as a, a blank check, an opportunity. And so the, he says, well, you know, king, if I wanted to honor somebody, really honor them, you know, I would get one of the king's robes. I'd put it on him. I, I'd get your best horse. I would assign the highest ranking official in the, in the country to lead the, that horse with the man sitting on it. And I would go throughout the city and I would have him announce to the people and make it known, this is how the king honors those that have done great things. And so the king goes, I love it. This is great. And so Hammond, he thinks he's sly says oh king who if i could ask who who do you want to honor i love it mordecai <laughs> think about that moment the king orders haman because he's the highest official in the land to carry out the suggestion and honor mordecai I mean, can you can you imagine the shock? <laughs> what? But Scripture says that Haman obeyed the king's command. I, I am sure he was beside himself. He was probably livid. So you, you picture this now. Mordecai sitting on a horse. Haman is leading the horse through the city. Every block of the city, they're going to go down. This is what the king led on. This is what, uh, We can't hear you. 
crowd's yelling at him. Can't hear you. We don't understand what you're saying. This is what the king does for people he wants to honor. And it is humiliating to him. It's a horrible afternoon. Cursing under his breath. And I imagine to try and get some composure, he's like, well, at least today's not a total bust. I'm having dinner with the king and queen again tonight. After dinner that night, says Queen Esther replied, if I found favor with the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the life of my people be spared. For my pe- people and I have been sold to those who would kill us, slaughter us, and annihilate us. Esther finally identifies herself. This is the first time that the king understands that his wife is Jewish. And suddenly, Haman's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day got worse. The king's like, what? You know, by whom? And Esther says, this wicked man, Haman, is our adversary and our enemy. Haman Haman grew pale with fright before the king and the queen. Scripture says that the king is in a rage and he leaves the room and goes outside. And Haman falls out of his chair, literally. He crawls on his hands and knees to the couch where uh, Esther's reclining and, and resting, and he's begging for his life. Again, make a long story somewhat short. Haman is sentenced to death on the gallows that he'd had built. How handy is that? Mordecai is promoted to Haman's position. And through some very complicated uh, political maneuvers, the Jewish people are saved. And friends, I, I follow how God's hand was on Esther, you know, and how Esther, she accepted advice, she trusted God, she finally takes a stand And she has a plan involved, and God uses her to perform a miracle. She's willing to risk it, no matter how controversial it was, no matter how unpopular it was, no matter what the consequences were in her life. And a nation survives because one woman is willing to get a little bit crazy and trust God and be obedient to God and let God use her in a significant way. And I, I believe when we hear stories like this out of, out of Scripture and it, we see them in life, we, we kind of go, yeah, but, but I'm just one person and I can't make a difference. It's, it's just poor me. Prince, when you read God's Word, you do not find very many stories where God uses the masses to change the world. You see where God uses individuals to make a difference. You know, from from Genesis to Revelation, you see God's hands 
on individuals' lives, people that are willing to be used by God and to be obedient to God and to be God's voice and hands in the, in the world. One of my favorite scriptures, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, says the eye of the Lord searches the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's looking for people to use. God, God is watching. He's paying attention. He is roaming the, the earth to find people that are willing to, to be completely committed, fully committed. You know, in a world f- full of people, only some want to fly. Isn't that crazy? Or is it sad? It is no accident, and this is what I want you to take away today. It is no accident you are where you are in life. You are where you are in your businesses. You are where you are in in your communities and in your neighborhoods and in your schools. Wherever it is, you are where you are because God put you there. And God has a purpose for your life. And God wants to use you if you'll be fully committed to him, if you'll trust him, if you'll let God be, be work through your, your voice and your hands and you'll allow your life to touch those around you. You were made by God. You are called by God for such a time as this. You are. And if you don't know that, you need to step back and realize that. God created you for such a time as this. Let's stand for a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we, uh, we thank you that you are watching. You do care. You created us. For this moment, you have called us to be your people. You've called us to be your voice, to be your hands, your ears in this world. God, help us to influence the world around us. Help us to have courage to be people of faith. God, if you call us to stand, we'll stand you call us to serve, we'll serve. If you call us to love, we'll love. If you call us to forgive, we'll forgive. Whatever it is, Lord, we'll follow obediently. God, use us to make a difference in this world. Use this church to make a difference. God, we thank you for your provisions. We thank you for your power. And we give you the praise this day with all we say and do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God's people said, we're getting ready for a communion, but when we leave this place, I'd encourage you to be the people God's called you to be. Nah, don't worry about what everybody else wants you to be. Who's God called you to be? So let's worship together.